What do Mr. Potato Head, Kermit, and space travel have in common? All this and more coming up on this episode of Lasers and Lockets, the podcast all about strong and complex female characters in science fiction and fantasy entertainment. This is episode 25. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Lee. Welcome back to the show. Before we dive into tonight's episode, here's some random nerdy news you can use. News. If you're a fan of Lego and also of Stranger Things, you're going to be excited about this one. That's right. Lego has made a Stranger Things set complete with minifigures of the characters, Joyce's house, and an upside-down version of Joyce's house. I'll include a link to the Sci-Fi Wire article about it in the show notes. NASA has unveiled the name of their upcoming mission to the moon. It's going to be called Artemis, and NASA has said that the next person they plan on putting on the moon is an American woman. I've always been fascinated by NASA, and I'll be watching Artemis closely. The prospect of a female... The prospect of the first female moonwalk is very exciting to me. Lastly, I found a super awesome infographic showing the most talked about Avengers by state. My home state shows Captain Marvel. I'd believe it because I talk about her at least two to five times per week or more. (laughs) All right, let's go ahead and dive into the show. If you haven't guessed it from the title or the teaser... Tonight's episode is about the funny and witty space exploration show, The Orville. The best way I can describe The Orville is as the best non-Star Trek Star Trek on television. Originally, I thought it was sort of a Star Trek spoof, but I have found myself enthralled each week, and I really fell in love with the characters. It really scratches that itch for a fun, hopeful sci-fi series. The series isn't perfect by any means, but Seth MacFarlane has proven he can write an engaging, fun, and complex series full of interesting storylines, character exploration, and some really great female characters. I believe the series' strongest suit is its female cast, but we'll get into that in a moment. First, I want to explore the overall pros and cons I feel this series has. As far as positives, the, f- the women on the ship do so much more than just standing behind a console or falling into traditional roles. The strongest person on the ship is a female. The show also sets up characters and develops them beyond a surface story. Seth MacFarlane got so many great little Star Trek-y details correct. The show titles, the music... The fact that the computer is Seth's sister, that's a really nice touch. In Star Trek, as you probably know, the voice of the computer was Majel Barrett Roddenberry, Jean's wife. I also love that the captain doesn't look down on the women of the series or try to pigeonhole them into a specific role. He looks at them for guidance and doesn't dismiss their feedback simply because of their gender. This series, much like Star Trek of old, 
also tackles some really difficult topics in a way that provides a hopeful outlook on the future, and I love the pop culture references throughout. I think they're used to great effect. From an episode using Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer in an attempt to prove that to an all-male species that being a woman isn't a weakness, to an almost Black Mirror-esque episode where they encounter a planet governed by an unstructured democracy based around social media upvoting and downvoting, to providing a species that has a zoo full of different species itself, um, with an entire database of reality television to satisfy their desire to observe humans. It's a lot of fun. Seth MacFarlane seems to understand how pre-Star Trek Discovery, yes, I believe the Orville to be a far superior show to that abomination. We'll talk about that maybe a little bit later. Um, (laughs) But he understands how pre-Star Trek Discovery dealt with social issues, and he incorporates both humor and drama into the series almost flawlessly. He understands and demonstrates that you can discuss current social issues, but you don't have to pick a side and keep jamming it down the throats of your audience for 45 minutes. You can explore both sides of the issue and leave it up to the audience to decide what they believe. This shows an incredible amount of social awareness and is something that I have always appreciated about Star Trek and now the Orville. The other main thing that I absolutely adore is how the Orville nails the tone of Star Trek. The ship is brightly lit, there's hope in that brightly lit ship, and its visual style is so inviting. You want to spend an hour with the crew and escape to that universe. Now, this may be because Brannon Braga, if you remember him from Star Trek of old, is actually one of the executive producers, and uh, I think he also consults on the show a bit. He may have brought that to it, but I think that Seth MacFarlane did a great job with that too. The show did suffer at times at the very beginning. It failed the Bechdel test on a number of occasions. If you're not familiar with the Bechdel test, here's what it is. To pass the Bechdel test... A work must feature at least two named women, these women must talk to each other, and their conversation must be about something other than a man. The series does pass the test in most circumstances with flying colors, though, so I can't really fault it too much on that. Occasionally, at the beginning, it felt like everybody was just cosplaying in space, but I think everyone eventually settles into their roles. I think that's why you can't really judge a series by the first or second episodes. It can take time to settle in. Lastly, Seth MacFarlane's brand of humor is not for everyone, but most of the time I found it quite funny. It routinely made me laugh out loud, and I find that to be a very good sign. The reason why we're really here, though, tonight is to discuss the leading ladies of the series. There are three main ones we'll dive into. Kelly... Alara, and Claire. Let's start with Commander Kelly Grayson, the first officer. I admit, she was not my favorite when I first started the show. It felt like she was simply brought in as an antagonist to Ed Mercer, the captain. See, she's Ed's ex-wife, and he caught her cheating on him. Kelly becomes so much deeper than that, though, so stick with her if you're a little unsure at the beginning. Kelly's strength is her intelligence and her ability to think outside the box. 
She's quick-witted and strong-willed, and she's not afraid to admit when she's wrong. I think I would have hated if all Ed and Kelly bantered about was the affair and Ed being the jilted husband. But Kelly apologizes for what she did and works to make amends with him. Ed values her as a quality first officer and trusts her to have his back even with that betrayal in their past. The complexity of this issue was surprisingly well-developed and well-handled on the show. They didn't beat a, a dead horse, so to speak. Kelly exhibits a strong sense of ownership when it comes to her behavior, and maybe that's what makes her such an interesting character. She doesn't excuse her behavior, and if she makes a mistake, she works to set it right. Take, for example, the episode where she sees a child from a primitive culture fall and seriously injure their head. Instead of following the union's form of prime directive, the cultural contamination directive, she heals the child with a medical tool. The planet forms an entire religion around her, unfortunately. She works hard to correct their misconception, though. Her heart is in the right place. Maybe that's something that I always enjoy about her, too, her heart, and that she tries to do the right thing in almost any circumstance. Kelly trusts her instincts, and one of the largest lessons she teaches others on the ship is to trust their own instincts as well. Kelly is so intuitive and in touch with who she is. This is part of what makes her a strong first officer. She's questioning and doesn't take anything at face value. She's always observing and often sees things that Ed and the others overlook. She commands respect, and many of the other crew members look up to her. I love her friendship with Alara. It's one of the funnest parts of the show. A couple of my favorite episodes involving Kelly were in season one. In one episode, Kelly is taken captive by an insulated and non-self-aware society. They fear her and begin to torture her, and it shows her personal inner strength. They couldn't break her. She used her humor and her resolve to handle the Inquisition until help could arrive. I found it a pretty powerful scene because it showed that it's okay to be rescued. You can't always do everything on your own. And it also showed that the human spirit is stronger than the ignorance of external forces. Another of my favorite season one Kelly episodes is when she concocts a plan to stop a krill ship from destroying a research outpost and keep them from a very dangerous technology at the same time. It was one of those moments of hilarious triumph when a giant tree suddenly bursts forth from the Krill ship. It felt a little like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy at that moment, and I loved that. Let's step into discussing Lieutenant Alara Catan now. She's probably my favorite on the ship so far. Alara is a Zelean, and she is the strongest person on the ship. You learn a lot about Alara's history and family dynamics in Season 1, Episode 10. I think the title is Firestorm or something along those lines. Zelayans seem to value intelligence over strength, even though they're super strong people. And Alara's parents act as though she's a failure for choosing to serve in a military capacity instead of finishing university. Instead of falling into the typical science or other kind of role that women usually fall into on these types of series, she's the head of security on the Orville. She kicks butt, takes down bad guys, and protects the crew. 
there are so many times when the captain asks her to open this jar of pickles uh, when he can't get in somewhere. He just steps aside and lets Alara take charge. She's so young, and yet she has such great leadership potential. The captain trusts her to take command of the ship on several occasions, and she rises to the challenge. I appreciate that the captain and others in leadership recognize her successes and provide her with opportunities to shine. That's something that the Orville does so well. They set the characters up for success. And I love that. I also love that Alara's been written as both strong, beautiful, as well as compassionate. She has a level head, but she also has a lot of heart. I think Alara suffers from a bit of imposter syndrome sometimes, perhaps because of her age, perhaps because she feels inadequate. I'm not really sure, but she tries to overcompensate and makes some mistakes occasionally, some big ones, but she usually finds a way to correct them. Like I mentioned before, I love the friendship between Kelly and Alara. They strengthen each other and provide an outlet to talk about their fears and their frustrations Kelly mentors Alara, but in a way that doesn't preach or talk down to her because Alara is a younger woman. It's a really symbiotic friendship. Alara becomes more confident as the series progresses, and that makes me very happy. There are some pretty great episodes with her. One of my favorite, which I've mentioned before, is season one, episode 10. Firestorm harkens to one of my favorite Star Trek Voyager episodes, The Thaw. It's very fear-based, and you get completely enthralled in it. This episode is such an important one for Alara because it shows her rising above her fear and exhibiting incredible bravery. Captain Mercer gives a rather similarly stirring speech that Janeway gave about conquering fear. It doesn't have quite the same effect as when Janeway gave it, but I digress there. One of my favorite things about Alara is that she's aware of her weaknesses and she has a deep desire to overcome them. She's an excellent role model and provides great encouragement that it's possible to overcome pretty much any shortcoming. This leads us to the last of the three leads, Lieutenant Commander Claire Finn. Do you recognize the actress who plays her? Yep, she played a recurring character on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Claire, though, on the Orville, holds the rank of Lieutenant Commander, so she's one of the highest-ranked females next to Kelly, and she is the chief medical officer on the ship. She's naturally intelligent and compassionate and calm in a crisis. Claire is also a single parent who chose to give birth to and raise two children on her own. She didn't wait around for a partner to be able to fulfill this parental desire. Claire's parenting is a really wonderful aspect of the series. She shows vulnerability in learning to handle a teenager and a small child at the same time, and that vulnerability shows such a great strength. While she questions whether she's a good parent or not, she never stops trying. She tries to raise them to be good people. She tries to make sure that they choose the right path and to be kind to different people who are are different than them. She tries to give them the best possible future. She tries to encourage them to be truthful in all things. I think that her story is a very compelling one for the setting of a spaceship, and it's so well handled. 
While I'm not a parent, I can only imagine, imagine, I can only imagine how difficult it is to parent in normal life, let alone a spaceship. Claire forms an interesting friendship with Isaac, the artificial life form on board. He's on the ship observing humanoid development, and I think it's Claire's patience with him and her curiosity with his species that forms the unlikely bond between the two of them. Isaac often helps Claire with parenting or with watching the children or teaching the children if she's busier away. It's a really fun relationship or dynamic on the ship. Claire's curiosity is one of her greatest strengths. She is fascinated by different species and the mysteries of the universe. In Season 2, Episode 2, I really loved a small moment toward the beginning of the episode. While the crew is watching a star suck a planet into its gravitational well, you get a glimpse of her curiosity in that moment, and she utters something in awe of the star's power and beauty. It's almost like she's a little kid again. I think perhaps the reason why the Orville um, and its female characters are so strong the strongest part of the series, is because of their diversity in age, life experience, race, species, and abilities. And the fact that they work so well together without becoming catty or falling into one of those stereotypical tropes is a testament to Seth MacFarlane's nuanced writing. This leads us into the recommendations for this episode. Naturally, I recommend The Orville wholeheartedly. You can find seasons one and two streaming on Hulu in the U.S., but you should be able to find it elsewhere if you live in a different country. They just announced last week that it was renewed for season three, and so I'm super excited about that. By way of a book recommendation, if you haven't had a chance, C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy is one of my favorite science fiction series. Did you know he wrote (laughs) sci-fi? I didn't until I saw it in a bookstore. I love to curl up with it while a thunderstorm rages around me and get lost in the world he creates. I'd highly recommend it to you, too. On to our question of the episode, gentle listeners. Who is your favorite female character on the Orville? And do you like the Orville more than Star Trek Discovery? Tweet your answers to me over at Lasers Lockets, or you can join the fun over on our Discord server. The link is in the show notes. And we'll see you back here in two weeks. Until then, grab a shuttle and join Commander Grayson on an away mission to observe a Bronze Age society. And try not to get caught sticking Mr. Potato Head parts on your resident artificial life form. Get your nerd on and be awesome. All right. Alright.